0: Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water.
1: Well, forget everything Richard just told you. Working in our nursing home is not that bad of a job. For me personally, the one job that I could never bring myself to do is ornithology. See, if you don't know, ornithology is the study of birds. An ornithologist is someone who spends most of their time watching and observing and taking notes on birds. And to me, that is a terrible job. That is the most terrifying job in the world because I have this kind of irrational fear of birds. Uh, to be honest, I don't think it's that irrational. It's, it's just the birds freak me out. Every time I hear a bird up in the trees, I have this fear that it's, it's going to swoop down from above and start to, to peck at my skull and pull out my hair with its claws. So for me, the one job that you could never, ever convince me to do is ornithology. The thought of that just terrifies me. And some jobs are like that, aren't they? There are some jobs that when you think about it, it's just crazy that people would ever want to do. Deep sea diving, diving down into the depths of the ocean in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by all kinds of creatures that you can't see. No thanks. Cleaning windows on a high-rise building just attached by one little harness. That is terrifying. A bomb technician. Bombs Bombs are designed to destroy things. I can't fathom why someone would ever want to have a job where they go and defuse a bomb. No amount of money could make me do these things. They're just too risky. They're they're too dangerous. They're too terrifying. But, you know, there is one job more dangerous than all of those. One job which the Bible says you would be absolutely mad to ever want to do. And that is the job of a teacher. In our passage today, James actually starts by discouraging people from wanting to become teachers. Just have a look there in chapter 3, verse 1. James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers. Now, At this point, right, all the teachers who are watching at home thinking about another week of work are saying amen, right? Fair enough. To me, the thought of fronting up in front of a classroom full full of kids day after day, that is absolutely terrifying. But James isn't talking about all types of teachers here. No, specifically, James has in mind teachers of God's Word, See, in the Bible, a teacher was someone who taught others about God from the Scriptures. And James is saying here, it's that job, teaching God's Word that you would be crazy to ever want to do. And you can see why in the rest of verse 1 there. Just look, just look in verse 1 there again. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So the reason James discourages people from wanting to become teachers of God's word here is that they will face, he says, stricter judgment, greater judgment from God. They will be held more accountable for what they say and what they do than anyone else. Which when you stop and think about it, actually makes a lot of sense. Because there is nothing more important than knowing God. That is what life is all about. And the role of the teacher is to show people through God's word who God is. So, of course, what teachers say and do really matters. Because they are talking about the things of God. They are claiming to speak on behalf of the Lord of the universe. His reputation, people's salvation Their eternity is on the line. So of course those who teach God's word really are in great danger because there is no greater evil than to speak falsely about the God of the universe. There's no greater evil than to undermine someone's faith in him. And look, leaders are at risk of doing this all the time in what they say, in how they live. Teachers are meant to represent God. And so teaching God's word is a terrifying job. Especially when you consider that teachers are just as prone to sin as everybody else. In fact, that's what James says in the very next verse. Verse two, he says, we all stumble in many ways. That is, No one is without sin, according to the Bible. There's no one who doesn't stumble or disobey God. And look, that helps us see, doesn't it, that that James isn't expecting those who teach God's Word to be perfect. God knows that I'm certainly not, and, and many of you know that for a fact too. We all sin, but James is saying that when a teacher stumbles in what they say or do, it really matters. And teachers are just like everybody else when it comes to the temptation of sin. So, of course, you want to think twice before becoming a teacher of God's Word because teachers will be judged more strictly and they are just as susceptible to the temptation of sin as everybody else. Now, let me say at this point, James is not saying that no one should ever want to become a teacher. That no one should want to go into ministry or become a preacher of God's word because, well, preaching God's word in the Bible is a wonderful thing. What, What could be more profound, a more profound use of your time than getting to show people how good and how glorious God is? Getting to call people to the salvation that is found in Jesus' name. Timothy calls this a noble task, something we should all aspire to. But it's also something James said we should recognize is a great responsibility so that we don't make that decision lightly or hastily so that we don't just presume to become teachers of God's word, but we understand the significance of what it is we're signing up to. Now, this is so helpful for us, isn't it? I mean, it's helpful for us as pastors here at HBC to keep examining our lives, repenting and putting off sin. And in fact, it reminds us that even pastors are lifelong students of God's Word. I know for me, God has really used this part of James to remind me to be humble and to be prayerful. But it's also helpful for loads of people across our HBC family. Because many of you are teaching God's Word week in and week out too. Growth group leaders, youth and rush leaders, kids' church leaders, a big part of those roles is teaching others about God from His Word. And so I think it's helpful that we heed the warning that James says in this passage. Heed his warning here about stricter judgment. So that we work hard to understand our Bibles. And to teach them well. And so that we work hard to put off sin and to put on righteousness because teachers of God's word will be judged more strictly. And sin is a real danger for every single one of us. And I wonder if I was to ask you, what is our greatest danger when it comes to sin? What would you say? What area of our lives are we most likely to stumble and disobey God in? Is it, is it lust? Is it sexual immorality? Is it greed or, or gluttony? Well, not according to James. James says the place where we are most likely to stumble is here with our words. See, for the rest of this passage, James focuses in upon, upon our tongues And he says some pretty startling and confronting things about these little things in our mouth. Firstly, he says, our tongues are incredibly powerful. Just look there again at James chapter three, verse two. He says, we all stumble in many ways, but anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Now, that's a pretty incredible thing for James to say, isn't it? Everybody sins in, in all kinds of ways. But if someone can control their tongue, then they will, they'll never sin. They can control their entire body. And he actually gives us some examples of how this works. He says, think about a horse, right? A massive beast, far more powerful and stronger than we are. But when you put a bit in its mouth, you can control the entire animal." Or take a ship. Ships are huge and they're pushed along by enormous winds and yet a tiny little rudder on the back determines where it will go. James says our tongues are just like that. It's a tiny little seemingly insignificant part of our body. It's so small but it has a massive impact on the entirety of our lives. Now, when you think about this, it is so true, isn't it? Because Words are the foundation of how we communicate. It's with our words that we build relationships. Words are the fabric that makes our society function. We use words all day, every day. Our lives, our society, our world is built around them. Words are incredibly powerful. Which means that words can also be incredibly destructive, can't they? In fact, that's the second thing that James says about our tongues in this passage. It's that they have the capacity to do an enormous amount of damage. You know, we we don't often think this, do we? we? We say things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. James says that could not be further from the truth. Just look at how James talks about the damage our words can do to our lives. Verse 5, he says, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, James doesn't mix his words here, does he? He says, our tongues are a fire, which when out of control will just destroy everything in their path. And this is an image we understand all too clearly here in Australia, don't we? The end of last year, 2019, we saw some of the most devastating bushfires we've ever seen in this country. Fire ripped through our nation. It destroyed properties, houses, animals. Even tragically, it resulted in the loss of some people's lives. James says our tongues are capable of that kind of damage. Our tongues are like that. They can destroy everything around us. They they can lead the rest of our body into sin. Because when we sin with our tongue, it's bound to lead to sin in other areas of our lives. Sin is like an infectious disease that spreads from one area to the other. And our tongues, they have the power to ruin friendships, don't they? Destroy families, wreck careers, derail our entire lives. James even says here, the end result of an unchecked tongue is the fire of hell. And look, even though we say words aren't that powerful, even though we say words aren't really that destructive, we know that's not true, don't we? Because our experience of life tells us otherwise. We know it's not true because we've all been on the receiving end of careless and damaging words, of malicious words. We've all dished them out too, haven't we? A friendship ruined because of words said in the heat of, mo- of the moment. Marriages, families destroyed by lies and deception. Trust broken by gossiping behind, behind someone's back. Now with our words, we can tear others down just because we don't feel good about ourselves, just because we're jealous of something that they have. And, you know, we call it just a bit of fun. We say it's the Aussie way. We say, just just take a joke. But we know the comments were meant to hurt. And behind the smiles and the facade, it often does. You know, we let our frustration boil over into anger and say, oh, I just needed to blow off some steam. It's not that big of a deal. People, people just need to have thicker skins. The problem is them, not me. And look, I know this all too well myself. You know, this, this passage, it cuts me apart as I've been preparing it this week because I'm guilty of all of these things. I have done incredible damage with my tongue to my life and to the lives of those around me. So don't don't believe the lie that our words don't matter. Our tongues are incredibly powerful, which means they are also incredibly destructive. And you know what the real kicker, though, is in this passage? The real kicker in this passage is the third thing that James says about our tongues. In chapter 3, verse 7, James says that our tongues cannot be tamed. Just have a look there. Chapter 3, verse 7 says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, that is scary when you think about it, isn't it? The, the really sad thing about our, our tongues is that it's not so much that they are powerful or that they're capable of destruction. It's that in the end, we can do nothing about that. I mean, we can tame lions. We can tame bears, the greatest and most powerful animals on the face of the planet. Humans can tame those, but for all of our power, for all of our strength, when it comes to our tongue... Human beings are powerless. Try as we might, we cannot rein them in. They are a restless evil. They're, they're always on, on the move, always on the edge, always waiting for the opportunity to cause damage, to destroy people. And, and like a snake, when that opportune moment comes, it bites down, it injects the poison that will eventually destroy our lives. And no matter how hard we try and control them, In the end, the reality is that our tongues control us. Now, why is this? Why is it that these little things inside of our mouths have such great power and can do such great damage and we just can't seem to control them? Well, it's because our tongues are just reflecting what's happening in our hearts. See, how we use our tongue is really just a reflection of what is going on inside of us. And Jesus makes this point so clearly in Luke chapter 6. He says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And no evil man brings, sorry, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So that's why our tongues are are powerful. That's why they do great damage. That's why we can't control them because our tongues are directly connected to our hearts and it's the human heart that is the problem, isn't it? It's in our hearts that we've all rejected God and turned away from Him. It's in our hearts that sin lives and breathes and holds us captive, which means to fix the problem of our tongues we'd somehow need to be able to change our hearts. Now, no human being can change their hearts. No human being can turn their heart away from its love of sin, can they? And actually, isn't that what James says? I mean, just just have a look a little more closely at what it is James actually says. In verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Now, do you notice what he says? That he doesn't actually say that the, ta- the tongue can't be tamed there, he just says, We can't do it. Human beings can't do it, at least not by themselves. But he certainly believes that taming the tongue is possible. In fact, that's what he says in verses 9 to 12. Verse 9 there, he says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, This should not be. That is, James, for all of his talk of the tongue being untamable, in these verses, he shows that he expects Christians to be different, doesn't he? He says the the one who praises God with their tongue should not use their tongue to curse their fellow human beings. He says that's unnatural, that's not how it should be. It's like a spring producing salt water and fresh water. It's like a grapevine producing figs or a fig tree producing grapes. That's not how it should happen. It's not how it should be. For the Christian, this is not the way it should be. When it comes to the tongue, James expects that Christians should be different from the rest of the world. He expects that Christians should be able to reign in their tongue. Well, because James knows that God has the power to change our hearts. James is right. No human being can turn their heart from its love of sin. But God can. No human being by themselves can tame their tongue. But with God it is possible because by the grace of God, through Jesus, you have a new heart. You who trust in Jesus, you have been forgiven and purified. Now We have been given new hearts by him, hearts which are no longer under the rule of sin, but under the wonderful rule of his spirit. Now see, when it comes to our tongues, the great difference between Christians and the rest of the world is that we have God who lives in us and who day by day is changing us from the inside out. And, you know, it might not always feel like that, but the reality is that it's true. And sometimes it might feel like we're not making any progress at all, but trust God When he says he is at work in you, changing how you speak as a Christian. See, to tame our tongues, we just need to work with our God. Now, I think that looks like a whole bunch of things practically. I think firstly, it it means we come to him, right? Right. We come to Him in humble dependence. We we sit at His feet. We ask for His help. We're quick to confess our weakness and our helplessness when it comes to our tongues. And we ask God to help us remember who we are, who He has made us through Jesus. And we ask God for his help to live that out, to, to put off the old self and to put on the new self, to use our tongues not for evil but for good, to use our tongues to praise him and to build one another up rather, to, rather than to destroy others. And look, we won't always get it right, of course. We'll stuff it up. We all stumble in many ways. But in those moments, we need to be quick to run back to the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Look, it might also mean, though, we need to go to one another and actually say sorry for the way that we've used our words, for the things that we said which we know have caused great damage. Because, you know, words are powerful to destroy, yes, but they're just as powerful to repair And look, only good will come. As hard as it is, only good will come from saying sorry and asking for forgiveness. And look, lastly, I think a helpful thing can actually be to set up some sort of accountability with someone you trust and someone you can depend on, especially if this is an area you struggle with whether it's your your spouse or your friend, maybe your, your growth group leader, having someone who you let ask you the hard questions, pull you up when you need to be pulled up and pray with you and point you back to Jesus, that can be so helpful, can't it? And God uses those kinds of things to help us tame our tongues. And it's important that we do because our words are incredibly powerful. And they can do so much damage. But by the grace of God, He is and He will change the way we use our tongues. Why don't I ask for His help in that now? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your Word, for its encouragement, for the way it spurs us on and And even for the way, at times, it challenges and rebukes us. Now, we feel like that as we read this passage because it it cuts to the core. We know when it comes to our words, we have all sinned against you and against one another. And we have done incredible damage to ourselves and to those around us through our tongues. Heavenly Father, please forgive us And we thank you so much for Jesus, who has made us new people, who through his grace and his mercy, who has given us new hearts through which you live by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you so much for the comfort of your promise that you are changing us. Even when we can't see that, even when it doesn't feel like that, we pray you would help us to know that it's true. And Father, help us to work with you in bringing our tongues under control. Help us to work with you to use our words, not for evil, but for good. And we ask this for our sakes, yes, but but ultimately for the glory and honour of your name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.